This is Adam Francis, and you're listening to the Equipped Indoor Podcast on the E2E Radio Network. Stand by for a great show. Hey guys, welcome to another great episode of the Equipped Indoor Podcast, episode 414, with your host, Robert Oliver, Dan Eastland, and of course, I'm Adam Francis. Gentlemen, how are you been doing on this lovely spring day? It's not raining down where you're at, Robbie, I hope. Not. No, it's actually, it, I was out playing with the dogs a few minutes ago. Uh, beautiful day out today. It's pretty nice. I, went, I took the dogs for three long walks. It's funny, man, that little puppy can't walk. She's at the distance, man. She's a sprinter. She's very dangerous at short distances. But, you know, you, you put about, you know, two two or three couple-mile walks with her, and she was dragging butt by the end of it. It was it was pretty pathetic. At one point, I was like, do I have to pick you up and put you over my shoulder? You, um, you know what? Do it every day and see if she don't improve faster. Oh, than I, do. I know she will. <laughs> she'll, give her give her about two or three weeks and she'll outpace you. Well, you know what I think it is is that I think her pads just got got sore. You know what I mean for that distance. So that's a yeah. lot in one day for her little her little puppy pads. So she's not a puppy anymore. She's a little bit older. <laughs> of course, the E2E podcast is brought to you by Dogwood Custom Knives. Check out Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com. Dealers at USA Made Blades, Edgeworks, Arizona Custom Knife. And, uh, hey, Dan, I was talking to, to the guys over there at Knives Ship Free. You had to give yeah. them a call. Yeah, we were, we were you know, yesing the other day and uh, talking about awesome knife makers. And I was like, you want to you talk to a knife maker who you can, like, actually have a conversation with and he's not just waiting for his turn to talk? <laughs> talk to Dan <laughs> Eastland. Because <laughs> it's and, always my turn to talk. I, guess. I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if he's really any related to our Dan Eastland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, guys, check out livefiregearllc.com. Uh, actually, they're having a uh, oh a fifteen uh, percent off sale right now, guys. If you want to pick up some live fire, I think it was Kickstarter fifteen is the uh, promo code. Uh, check out just you know, send an email over to us on Facebook and either E two E or Live Fire. We'll let you know what that is. It's going until I think. Um, kind of celebrating our our year of you know finishing and releasing uh, 550 fire cores. So excited about that. And keep an eye open, guys. Uh, we have a big a big store that's about to start uh, carrying our products. We're in the process there, which is a long drawn out process, but we're pretty excited about that. So hey, if you're hey, in Robbie. the neighborhood of a Bass Pro or something, hey, here Robbie. we go. Wait for his turn to talk. Did you notice uh, him trying to slip his Kickstarter? Uh, get past his Kickstarter hey. band. Hey, uh, who who uh, brought up Kickstarter last podcast, sir? Yeah, Robbie and I are still allowed to talk to it. We have no, 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 no. There, there's a of, uh, there's a quid pro quo, Clarice. Yeah. Quid pro quo. Of, <laughs> speaking of Kickstarter, speaking of Kickstarter. Hey, yeah. Adam, I know you got in on it. Did you get your email from um, uh, Exotac saying that the fire sleeve is going to be shipping this week? I did not. What what happened, man? They've had a bunch of problems, haven't they? They they had some problems with the mold. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the manufacturing of the mold because it, it's got to be molded, but yeah. you know the the whole point of the blasted thing is that it be waterproof. Yeah. So in in making the metal molds, if they didn't get the seams perfectly smooth and everything, in other words, when it's got to be waterproof, it's got to be perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so they had to go back. They had to go back a couple times on the molds, and then there was also um, getting the the mixture the colors correct you know it's yeah. easy it's easy to dial in the color when you're making two as a prototype when, when you're making two thousand 
you've you, you know it's a much bigger scale when you got to be a little more conscientious and make sure your color is all uniform so they had some problems with the color and like i said the mold but uh i got a i got an email from them from kickstarter or through the program or whatever saying that uh mine should ship this week this awesome. is the thing that goes on a big lighter to make it waterproof right you got it yeah very cool okay. hey y'all you ordered two didn't you robbie mm, i don't think so uh, I, I, I'm gonna have to steal Adams then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to have anything anymore. Um, I did get that uh, treble, you know, three-way hammock. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have not. I have not had a chance to get out and, and mess with it. Actually, I was thinking about it after getting off the, uh, the podcast, getting out in the field. Man, I got a stack of stuff that needs to be taken out there, and I've like started some of the reviews and stuff, and started my notes. But gosh, it's so much. It's just getting no. overwhelming. That does that. That holds three people, right? I mean, that thing, yeah. It's it's. Well, then, he, uh, Dan, I think Adam needs to wait, and we'll help him review it. <laughs> he needs two other people to sleep in it, right? No, I'm gonna. Hey, I'll hey, have Robbie, the girl. I'll have the girls hey. out there with me. Yeah, Robbie, I I really like you guys and all, but I ain't cuddling between the two of you. Oh come on, man! You know, you know. <laughs> oh, you, you weren't excited when you heard three way hammock. <laughs> oh, I was at first, and then you start talking about the the three of us, and I got really unexcited. <laughs> Adam Adam's going to put his kids in it and and think that's going to be a test and I, I bet all all of his children with the dogs maybe add up to the weight of one person. Yeah, yeah but yeah, but you know how those kids are going to romp around and jump and you do backflips in there. They will do crap in that thing that they never intended for people to do in there. That's right. They'll be you know, who's a little one. She'll be uh freaking trying to light it on fire. Well, she that? she would. Daddy and finally she, got us a trampoline. She was doing something crazy. <laughs> what do you mean day. I can't have a campfire? It's a camping hammock, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, I don't know, guys. You know, kids, what are you going to do? It's you funny, man. anything it, else that you're uh, looking um, at? What else, what else did I get? So, I got a couple. Of course, I got Dan's knife I talk, I was talking about. I did I did order one of those jackets, Robbie. Um, I got two of them for that Kickstarter. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I... And yeah, we're going so to so so you you better tell me how much you love me right now because Pam was sitting there when I was buying one, and I was like, I could get you one, Pam, and she's like, okay, so I got her a medium one, knowing that she's not going to want it, and then I can give it to you. <laughs> hey, that works for me. That, that definitely works for me. Um, so, you know, I can't. I I'm skeptical, Adam. I'm gonna be why is honest. That? Why is that? Because anytime somebody starts putting space age new technology into something as traditional as a coat. I mean, it'll that's be, not exactly, it'll be good, man. It'll be good. I'm not saying it won't. I'm just saying I'm always skeptical with, with new technologies like that. Uh, whether it's going to, you know, most of us own a good coat, you know, most of us own, that's just one of those things kind of like buying a good knife. You, you, you don't typically skimp on it because you know, yeah, I'm going to put that same coat on, you know, with 40, 50 different outfits over the course of the next, you know, this this winter, and it's going to see, it's going to be on the outside of my clothing. It's going to see the worst of the weather. Weather, So, you know, everybody buys good quality coats, and so when you start putting new materials and stuff into something that, uh, I guess, susceptible, you know? Yeah. I'm I'm always uh I'm always all I gotta say, man, is those guys are buried up to their necks in snow. Um, 
when they were like doing the last part of the little the little uh, Kickstarter video. Uh-huh. It's pretty, you know. I, I mean, I've made. Don't get me wrong, man. I've made a snow shelter or two in my in my life, and they could be really cool. But I mean, that's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> that's really, that's really neat. So we'll we'll see and what happens. Uh, Dan, if you're not familiar, I think it's the I think it's the aerogel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, material that they uh that they're putting into a coat. Yeah, I think we remember talking about this that there was also the possibility of it being in a bag too. That would be the cool. same thing. Is that the same one we're talking about? It's the same. Well, I don't know if that company did. You and I have talked about that a few times. Uh, about now, what do they do? To do what do they do to it? To they leave it in a liquid, like a liquid gel form? Is that what happened? No, I, it's my understanding. It has to be broken down and then embedded somehow into a fiber. Oh, okay. Aerogel by itself is extremely flat, fragile. I mean, like. You breathe on it wrong, and it shatters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, and if it's allowed to powder, it can powder up so thin that it can, it would slip through, and you'd lose it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that you go through the pores of the material. That particular coat you're testing, uh, unless I'm mistaken, if memory serves me correct, it's not an economical. No, it's, I mean, it's 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 pricey, right? It was it was price. Well, and that's the thing is like I wanted to buy one. While it was at the Kickstarter price, I, I still want to say it was in the three hundreds. Right, um, non-Kickstarter you know. price. You may decide not to. Well, get they, they, yeah. Well, they showed the non-Kickstarter price. I think it's like a five hundred dollar jacket. Um, so it, you know, it, it was, it was one of those things where, I'll tell you, man, it, it was a perfect storm of, of uh, retail therapy. When <laughs> 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 I saw that, because, you know, I, I had actually, I had actually sold some stuff on like eBay or something, and. Um, I had some extra cash sitting around, and I think we had you know, we just had we just had a you know, whatever our budget. We just had a little bit of a uh, you know a relaxed time where we had a little bit of extra money. And I was like, hey, you know, if I, if I buy one of these jackets, please. And you know, I got the I got the okay. So it happens every once in a while. Very few and far between here with the kids. So speaking of kids, man, Robbie, why didn't you wor- warn me about that time? Like, for, uh, there's there's a time frame where when they get to be like like. The, the combination of like between four and, and eight years old right now that I have, or five and eight, man, it just seems like every other day we're doing something like going to some after school activity or some field trip or, you know, soccer practice. Now, now they want to do dance or, or swimming or whatever. Yeah, man, you, I just, can quit, I don't, you can quit picking on my gray hair now, can't you? Oh, you my know gosh. What really means. I, it, it, it's like, it, it's like there's no, uh, tell there's, tell there's, no break. When, there's no break. There's no break. When you got two boys going to two different practices and they're always at the same time, uh, and trying to keep and keep up with who's supposed to be going where. Yeah, you know, I got yeah. one in scouts, one taking guitar lessons. Both are working out at dojos. Another's playing the the other one's playing a sport and trying to keep all that lined up. Well, let me let me tell you about like oh, man. So we had everybody in soccer. Okay, so we did the soccer thing. Um, then we did. Swimming. Swimming is about to start again, which I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> then we were doing jujitsu, but that kind of got problematic. Cause the, the, and it's funny. I was talking about the school, and Robbie, you and I have had this this conversation as well. And Dan, you know, you're a martial artist as well. I'm not big into the big mixed martial arts scene because there's no. I don't believe there's no there's any discipline or kind of like reverence for it anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when I was when I was training, I mean, it. it if you if you upset 
the instructor or the teacher, you might be banned from class for a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, or, or kicked out altogether. It was a privilege to be there. And now it's a business. And the school that we were going to was very commercial school. I mean, it was, you know, freaking, they're making money hand over fist. And it was cool because we could go to the gym while the girls trained. And Kara was doing really well, very athletic, was digging it. But then she got, uh, they were doing, you know, grappling, which, you know, for beginners, man, you haven't even worked on your stance yet. You haven't worked on, you know, all those other conditioning aspects. I thought you, haven't you worked said it on was jiu-jitsu. It is jiu-jitsu. I mean, all, you know, I'm talking about like building your, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) I mean, there's still, there's still, there's still foundation. I still think there's foundation stuff that you need to work with with conditioning. That's how I was trained and conditioning and discipline and all that other stuff. But I don't know. Anyway, let's let, let me get back to the thing. She was, she was grappling a boy that was a lot bigger than her. That was older than her. And he choked her out, had a good choke on her and her hands were pinned where she couldn't tap out. And like, it's a good thing the instructor was there because he just saw the look of like dread on her face and went over there and broke it off real quick. So I kind of blame him. Now, I mean, or I not, don't know. Wait, you blame him for stopping the choke? No, I blame him for not, you know, not supervising well enough that, that she didn't want to do it anymore. And I mean, it, it's not, it's, it's not, I don't believe it's, it's conducive um, to, to get to the point where it's too much for the, you know, people got to be eased into it. So I don't know. I mean, it's fine to, to start, you know, training on the ground or whatever, but when the people are going crazy, uh, you know, not practicing technique and just and just having at it, I don't know. I think I just don't think it's appropriate for a seven-year-old. Who knows? Uh, I know, in particular, one of the uh, uh, one of the last dojos I worked out in a lot. It was a it was a very competition-oriented dojo. Yeah, and the instructor kept very separate classes. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the the, seri- the guys that were were competing at a at a high level are really committed. Yeah, yeah. He, he was of the opinion that they had no business being in classes with the the sport players or the the club players. Yeah. Um. You know, just because you don't put a uh, you don't put somebody with that high a drive against somebody that doesn't have a high drive. Well, I mean, and that yeah, that's that's. We were the same thing at my, at my, I mean, the school that I went to, we did everything. I mean, like everything. There was, there was everything from kickboxing to Aikido to, you know, every aspect of it. And when we, when we had our spar classes, like on Saturday or Sunday, um, it was anything goes. I mean, like you did, you did glove up. You, you, you at least had to have some of those like, you know, knuckle gloves or whatever. If you yeah. want to grab some guys use boxing gloves as they were more boxer types. But I mean, anything went, you know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, everybody knew that everything, anything went. And that was one of the things. So you could, you could be a striker, you can, you could be a grappler, you could go for, you know, submissive stuff. And, and, uh, you know, Robbie, you, you, uh, you've met Master Ken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy's, I mean, he, he doesn't, he doesn't believe anything, but whatever works. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, if you'll tie both his hands and feet together. He'll bite and you to death. And give me a, and give me a machine gun and, <laughs> and twenty yards. I'll consider fighting him. Okay. And, and uh, although Adam, you touched on something that is a real problem for in the martial arts community. Yeah. The balance between a pure dojo and a dojo that can afford to keep its doors open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and it's really hard for Kodokan Judo because it can take years to earn a belt promotion in Kodokan. And there's there's very few belts, and the requirements are, are pretty significant yeah. from one belt to the next. So yeah, it is hard to keep, especially kids, motivated and in when compared to some of these you know belt-of-the-month clubs that, hey, what do you know? You got a promotion the exact same time the check is due. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and like that—that that was my kind of my problem with this class. Like, I walked in there, and I, I won't say that I'm like I've been a hard traditional thought guy. I mean, I, you know, I've been—I was doing it since I was like probably like you know twelve or thirteen years old, up until like you know years ago when I started having kids and and my time got uh, taken away. <laughs> but like, it was a disciplined thing. You didn't talk during class. You know, you—it was very paramilitary, you know, and I mean, like, you lined up, you know, you, you had it, everything was snappy. When you when you took water breaks, it was hurry up, get water, and get back to the line. Whatever we were doing, whatever drills, you were respectful, you focused. It, there was no goofing around or joking around. And, I mean, it, it was just one of those, it was one of those things. You know, like, I mean, I'll mean, I, I tell the story at, at a, you know, at, funny, but it was true. There was like a, there was a baseball diamond. And one time I did something bad, and the teacher pushed me out. Out of the out of the class with two five gallon the five like the not the five gallon buckets yeah the five gallon buckets and we had sand in them and so he's like go run, go run around the baseball diamond four times with your arms extended you know with the buckets of sand and you can't come back into the class until uh, you completed that task <laughs> you know what I mean and my key and my keys five gallon buckets. They weren't full of full sand. Of I mean, they was—they weren't like full of sand. They had sand in. They were heavy. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. They weren't like tip. They weren't, weren't weren't to the tip the tip top. But I mean, it was a training aid that we used. Yeah. And so that was like one of the one of the things, man. You know, and and uh, he was serious. I mean, the door was locked. Go. <laughs> you think I'm joking? Go. <laughs> yeah. You better you better hurry because like you know keys are in there and you're gonna be late to work. I mean, it wasn't a joke. It, it, the funny thing is, is that is that uh. You know, it, it was one of those schools where if you came in and you were a, a buster or whatever, he he wasn't interested in teaching you, and he was the best in the area, so you wanted to go there and train with him. You know? Yeah. So, and, and this, this guy's around giving the guy the kids high fives, like, "Hey, you guys ready for karate today? High five!" And it's like, "Oh my god!" And the guy was talented. That this new guy, it wasn't like he was a he was a bad martial artist. It was just this very, you know, it it felt like you guys ever seen that show Community? Yeah, that Joe Karate guy. That's that's the that was like the atmosphere it felt like. Where the 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 guy from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has that like Joe Karate TV show. And he's all goofy and everything. He's got nothing to do with karate. That's what it feels like. So I don't know. Well, I've been the I've been the eight year old in the karate class. Yeah, and you know, and I've also taught um, children's jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, now I will say that we had we had different rules for the little little ones like. You know, five to seven type, you know, age yeah. group versus, or five to nine versus like teenagers. Um, teenagers will run much more like an adult class. You know, you, you step out of line, go do some push ups. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you're apparently not concentrating on what you're supposed to be concentrating on. We'll, we'll, we'll help you with that. Do some push ups, do some lunges, you know. We'll, we'll get you back focuses in there. the mind. Yeah. Yeah. The children's class, I'm, I'm, I'll just straight up tell you, fifty percent of what I did in a children's class was allowing them to be nutcases. Yeah. For 
through calisthenics and exercise and, and crab crawls and, and all this to tire them out enough that we could work technique. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and when we worked technique, they did only the technique at one quarter speed yep. you know, type thing. When they free sparred, it was everybody, you know, uh, getting around Robin, you know, let's make a circle. Two students come in to the center and two come as in, in and one leaves. <laughs> you know, I was, I was literally, cause you know, you start children on the ground cause they're not old enough to know how to fall correctly without breaking their necks and yours in the process. The little kids, they started on the ground all the time. And uh, I'm literally standing over them for yeah. each, you know, each bout. You know, it, not saying that they didn't go hard. They did, you know. And, it, you know, if one kid was just getting completely demolished, it, he may not ever get the chance to tap. I may tap for him. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Good job, kids. Go, you know, go back to your stations. We know what we need. But to you, were doing, you were doing one group at a time so you could watch, right? Or one, were you doing... one set of students uh, uh, competing against each other. And everybody else in the circle. When those yeah. two finished, the next two got to come. See, that's the problem with this. I mean, they got this big, you know, 75-foot by 75-foot mat. And they'll have, like, you know, 20 sets of kids going at it with two now, or three instructors. We did that we at did the same that time. when they got to the teenage level. Yeah. When they got to the teenage level, they may start on their knees. They may start standing up, depending on their skill level. I, well, yeah. I well, well, my five-year-old was in this class. Yeah, I wouldn't match. I wouldn't match a kid that was supposed to be starting on his knees with a kid that should be starting standing up. Now, uh, I did. We would. We would do, not sparring, but uh, you know, live training in groups with the instructor walking around. Mm -hmm. But judo, at least the dojos I was in. In competition, I think you've got to be 14 before you can use chokes. Yeah. So nobody learned to ch nobody was learned or allowed to choke until they were 12 or 13. Yeah. And then you got to be, I'm pretty sure, 18 for arm bars. And again, you were 16 or 17 before you were even allowed to look at an arm bar. Yeah. See, I like that. I mean, I, I mean, I I've, I have had one. There's this one hop keto school that I was going to for a while before we moved, and the instructor there, he I mean, he was good. I mean, he, he was really, really good, but I mean, he was disciplined as, I mean, he was old school Korean dude. And I mean, he used to have this thin bamboo stick that he used to carry <laughs> with him. And let me tell you, if you were uh, out of line with your push-ups or your sit-ups when you're lined up, you get whacked in the leg with that stick. You lined up real quick, didn't you? Yeah, hell yeah, you did, man. I, now, you know, at the time, you know, I was, I don't even know how old I was. I mean, I, I was old enough to appreciate it. You know what I mean? I, I know that sounds kind of <laughs> sadistic. Yeah. But it's like, because you, you get some guys, like, the one thing that I hated about these commercial like karate spots is you get a group of guys in there that you kind of know their speed, everybody's focused on training, and this is at a good school, this isn't a, be a black belt factory, and every once in a while you get this kind of like, you know, jerk that would come in, and you could tell he's the kind of guy that's never really committed to it, he's never really stayed at a school for more than six to seven months. And he's kind of jumped around to different schools. And, like, you start to, like, know these guys, like, reputations and everything. And they come in there, and they don't want to listen. And all they want to do is, is tell everybody how much they know. And they end up either hurting themselves or hurting somebody else because they, they, they're, like, there to prove something. You know, they're, just, they're there to be a jack wagon and prove something. And, like, like th that's the kind of – those are the, the kind of situations that, like, I hate about those, those kind of uh, – 
schools. Like there, there's one part at one point at one time that Master Ken left his old school before he started his new school, and we literally trained in the park in Rockville, a park like outside. And I'm talking about all year round. If it was if it was snowing outside, we were out there training. I mean, of course, we had coats on and stuff like that. We couldn't do everything unless it was icy and we couldn't get traction. That entire year, we trained, you know, three or four days a week, every day until we had a facility. And I mean, that was that was some good training. That was probably the best training I've ever had because it was like, you know, it, it was serious. You had to be dedicated. And there was only like six or seven of us that stayed throughout that whole thing. But we were all really focused. And then, you know, he got a, he got a new school and he opened up uh, classes in Frederick, which is good because I didn't have to drive to Rockville anymore. But I mean, uh, I'm sorry. I know this is not supposed to be funny, but in my head, yeah, I, I've got a picture of you know you sitting like you know Indian style on the ground. <laughs> the pebble you know, out of my with, hand with the with, with the, uh, with the, the, the top open, you know, and and the water's pouring over your head, and it looks like you're sitting under a waterfall because of the background. <laughs> and, then, and then a second picture taken from further away, and it's obvious that you're in a city park, and there's a guy with a five-gallon bucket of water pouring it over your head. I mean, he, it's it's funny. I tell I tell everybody like when um the first time I went to see him, it was funny. I'd stopped doing. I was at a, a, a Shotokan school for for a long time, and the guy the guy that I was that was there, he was he was going to move the school someplace else. So he started like not showing up as much, and he had like. One of his secondary instructors teaching. I was like, uh, and I was working in Rockville, and a buddy of mine who I worked with was like, "Hey, man, I'm looking to get into martial arts. Can you know any good schools around here?" And I and I and I like, I, I was searching for him, and I went to interview. You know, went to go not interview, but to, to check out the school. So I came in there. I was like, "Hey, you know, I brought my stuff. Can I work?" And, yeah, you come work out now. And so he was like, "Let me see you." You know, they made me do like all my techniques. You know, for karate, like you know, show me this kick, show me this kick. He's like. Your stance is crap, but I teach you. And so I came in that day, and all I did is is horse stance jumps, left to right across the the floor for 45 minutes. Like like you know, and I was in pretty good shape. So you know, after 10, 15 minutes, I'm thinking I'm a rock star. I like, you keep going. And uh, and I remember I couldn't walk. Like I couldn't like, and I I stepped off the curb to get in my vehicle after that session. You know, and he stretched me out for you know pretty good for 15 minutes and everything. And everything was they cooled down and whatnot. But my legs were hurting so much, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy is for real, man! This is like, this is nuts." And uh, and like, I think that I think that I uh, when I started working with him, all I did was was conditioning for like almost the first three months before I even threw a kick or threw a punch in his class. I don't know, Robbie. For some reason, in the back of my mind, I hear like the montage training music. It was, I see, man. I see Adam out at the park, and the leaves start to change. <laughs> montage. The snow comes down. Well, I'll put the 80s. You know, I'll put it this one. way. I'll put it this hey, way, man, Dan. Is there a lot of slow motion running in there? Yeah. <laughs> when I after a year after a year working out with him, dude, I think I was weigh, I think I weighed 186. I had lost so much. I had lost so much body fat. Like it, it was, it, it, it was crazy. And I wasn't, I probably wasn't as, as, as big as I was when I got out of the police academy, but I was, you know, that was conditioned. It was good, man. Probably eating five, 6,000 calories a day. Um, hey Dan. Yeah. Uh, that almost sounded wrong. What you just said, just be clear here. Don't ever speak ill of Remo. All right, I was, that was as good a compliment as I think Adam will okay. ever get from me. Okay. Okay. I absolutely adored both the movie and the book. Yeah, but yeah, but when you, 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 you like pregnant water buffalo, you yes. gotta meet you gotta meet Master Ken. He's more of the he. If you've seen Kill Bill two, 
Um, what it was like, uh, Pai Pai May Padmai, whatever his name was. What was his name, Robbie? Padmai, I think. Yeah, that's that that was Master Ken when I met him. I shaved head with like a long wispy beard. Master now he's like, Ken is Master Ken is a combination of that guy and the instructor from uh, Remo. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not joking, man. Like it was, that's funny, man. Like, um, he used to always do this crazy, like say these crazy, like when I first, when I first, uh, started going to that school, like I, like I, at one point I got like kind of fearful. I was like, man, is this like the Vietnamese mafia? Like that's how I, I really felt that way. Like, you know, he was just very, never talked or anything. And, uh, I, I probably told Robbie the story a couple times. Like, like one day he's like, he, uh, he, he comes, he comes in with a blender. Right, like a like a cheap <laughs> like a cheap blender like a cheap blender and he gives you like, Hey, you take this blender and I was like, Okay, take it home and I'm like, you know I had this point I was like nineteen or something, you, maybe. You put your left hand in it. I uh, like no, no so he's like, You take it home and like so I like I, I didn't know like he didn't explain to me, he just gave me this blender, like out of nowhere. You know? He like I gave you this blender, you know you know tell nobody. That's that's the other part. You know tell nobody. You, he used to always say that to me, I didn't know what that meant. So I take the blender home and I'm and I'm sitting like looking at it in my apartment. I'm like, why did he give me this blender? Like I'm like I'm just waiting for some Vietnamese guy to knock on my door. You got blender. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like hand off the blender. And so I, I I come back the next day and he's like he's like, you use blender? Like and like he's like looking like you know angry. Like everything he says angry. And I'm like no no. And he's like why not? You use it make protein shake. You know help you make stronger. I'm like oh, okay. So I actually started using a blender. And like you know, one day is like, hey, you go wash those windows. You know, tell nobody, and uh, you know, or, or do whatever. And like, I, what I didn't know is that like the school, they they were very strict because it was also like a sect. There's like a Buddhist, like religious part of the school, and like I guess they had problems with like like you know, having people work for the school that weren't like I don't know if it was like Vietnamese or weren't Buddhist or whatever. But he was he, he was like giving me a discount on the school because I was working so hard. You know, I didn't like I was a young kid in college working full time. I didn't have much money. And, uh, so that, that's what it, that's what it was, but I didn't realize it at the time, but like, it was like, you know, one time he's like, you go to the bank, you get 1000 penny, that's $10 for the penny. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like, what does this guy want me to do with a bunch of pennies? And so like he, I come back in with this bucket of pennies and he reaching in his pocket with pennies and he's flicking them across his office and hitting his dartboard with these pennies, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> like what the, what the hell? What are you, what are you doing? Like, ah, oh, you just practice that. You practice flicking pennies. I'm like, all right, man. But uh, he, he, he's, he's pretty funny, man. I've always, uh, he's a funny dude. I always say that he was born in the wrong century. Adam he, he, tells these stories like this is the way Master Ken used to be. Like, oh, he still he's is. Not currently like this. He really oh. is still like this. All right, first time we met Robbie, it was funny. So we're out in the backyard, and he's just staring Robbie down for like probably a good hour, right? Like oh, everybody's yeah, talking, man. and he's just mean grilling Robbie, just like like at any moment. And like I think Robbie even says something like, "Man, is this guy gonna jump up and kill me?" Like, like and it's funny. Like you, you get like you know these pre-assault indicators from people. You know, like at any any minute they can yeah, jump but he off. He gives those off all the time, <laughs> 24/7. And then he's out of, always about to kick somebody's ass. Yeah, and then out of no, and then out of nowhere, he's like, "I like you. You cool. You be friends now." <laughs> <laughs> and then he can't, and then he can't, and you can't, uh, you can't shut him up. He just goes on, man. You know. Oh yeah. But he's also, and I don't know if this is his culture or if it's his religion or if it's just his nature, but he's also one of those guys that he 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 wants to make you comfortable and happy. And, you know, like, if you've got a problem, he's got a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, so all the intensity that he shows with the, you know, the, like I said, he's like a coiled snake <laughs> last at time. But at, at the same, like, first time he met my wife, because, you know, because he and I had already gone through the whole, you know, stare down for half a night where I sat there terrified. Um, you know, it, and it had been stated we were now friends. The first time he met my wife, treated her so respectfully. Oh, absolutely. Like, just like she was made of gold, you know. Because I've met your wife, and I find her far more intimidating than you are. Right. Well, <laughs> um, and maybe that's why he treated her like gold. They had that, you know, in common. Yeah. Um, the eyes met, and they, and they, they realized who could yeah, take you out. souls. Either yeah. one of us will kill you. You know, um, they, one master recognizes the other. Yeah, but he's 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 an awesome, dude. I wish I wish I could still train. He's got a school down in Rockville now. Um, I, I really wish I could still get down there and train. It's just too it's too far of a hike for me. It's like the opposite way of everything that I need to be around. So it happens. But you know, it's 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 funny. It is an old school, like you know, really focused on conditioning and and uh, I miss it. I do miss it. It's it it was dude, good times. You need, times to, the, you need to go build like a, a super zen garden somewhere yeah. close by where you live. And get it all completed, and then call him up there and go, "Hey, Master Ken, don't you want to open a satellite school here? Look." Well, actually, we had a school in Frederick at one time that we helped. I helped him open up, and we were running from like a like a community center, and it was going pretty well. The problem is, man, and like as you said before, you know, it is the business of it. It's like you either have to be a belt, a black belt factory, where you're, um, you know, charging people all this stuff to get belts, and you know, you, you lock them into these contracts, and you're paying. You know, 150 bucks a month per student, and it's like, it's almost like a, a scam. You know what I mean? Like, I hate to say it, um, or you have to be a, kind of a super competitive MMA gym where these guys are paying you to train them to compete. You know, and I, I don't think either way, really, you know, that's not the right demographic. For yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, if you go like to Colorado, there's like a martial arts school everywhere. You know, they're 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 all over the place because people oh. want to do that that altitude training, you know. And it's like you know, I I want to I want if if I were to get back into it, I probably would do something like judo, Dan. Something I can go there, I can focus on on technique and conditioning. Um, you know, my my uh my my boxing and striking and sparring days are. You know, I don't really want to do that anymore because it, it's it's one of those things where if you train too little, you're not getting anything out of it. If you're going two or three days a week, you're 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 really not getting anything out of it. If you're going four or five days a week and you're really getting something out of it, but then you're just prone to, to consistent injury. You know? Well, I the you reason, know the, what's that? the reason I'm losing weight is uh, or getting back into shape is I I gotta get back on the mat. Yeah. It, yeah. it's driving me nuts. I I told Beth I wouldn't compete anymore, but I I I just gotta roll around. I mean it's just it, like the only injury that I haven't the only injury that I haven't didn't come from martial arts is my back injury. That was, you know, that was my work. But you know, I've ripped my AC in my shoulder. I've ripped my hamstring. I've broke toes. I broke fingers. I broke my nose. Gosh, knows. I don't know how many times. I never split it, which was good. Um, you know, I've hyperextended my knee, uh, ankle. Um, I mean, it's just I've had some some nasty injuries. But one thing I don't, for as tall as I am, I don't have any knee problems. Knock on wood. Um, that's a great. That's a great thing about Kodokan Judo is of all my many injuries, mm -hmm. 
only one of them were ever was ever at the dojo, and that was just a freak accident where a bunch of us were training side by side, mm-hmm. and the unlimited uh, guy working out next to me, uh, he fell and landed across me. Yeah, yeah, and and that was a reconstructed shoulder. But oh, uh, yeah, and that was just you know it was just a freak accident. But judo because it's it's so circular. It's surprise. There's surprisingly little stress on the body. Yeah, I, I, mean, I could. I, I would love to go to a, a keto school as well, but it just takes so long to, you know, get proficient in that setting. So I don't know. Yeah, well, you got the rest of your life. That's you? true. That's true. I mean, I I want to I want to find something. Hey, time for Tai Chi, man. You know what, man? Let me tell you, man. You know, Master Ken does Tai Chi, and uh, some of those some of those techniques are no joke, man. I mean, there that that you can get really strong and and be very uh very like effective the, with that. The muscle needed to hold the body. Position oh yeah, like that for extended yeah, periods of time thing. He he uh when, whenever I spar with him, he 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 he's very different fighting. Like if he really fights with you, because he just like wants to destroy your body. It's not about right. punching you in the face. He's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna everything's a target. You know what I mean? It's it's very different very different i mean there's nothing magical about it he's just he's just quick and he's conditioned you know um i'm not so sure i used to have an instructor that said uh, if you want to kick somebody in the head kick them in the leg and when they fall down then you kick them yeah the head. yeah yeah i've seen him do that but it you know it's it's it, it was fun it was one of the best best times of my life and you know i it, it does sad me like i said before i don't think there's as much reverence in, in the sport anymore or the art I shouldn't say the sport that's kind of where it's going and it becomes a sport um and you know I you know not to say that it, like it was funny we were at work the other day and a lot of the guys are into the MMA stuff and I don't know man I, I'm just not into it I can't watch those guys just sit there and and brutalize themselves for no reason you know I I can respect I can respect how hard it is and how difficult it is and you know conditioning I, I've, I've known guys who were you know who, who fought you know, I was always in awe of how strict they were and how disciplined they were with even their diet. You know, having everything planned out to eat every week for the you know the six or eight week time they were training and putting all that effort into it. Um, I don't know, but it's just it comes down to it. It's like you know, you know what what what's the goal here? And a lot of those guys, man, they're getting messed up, and uh, the the brain injuries alone are devastating. You know, these guys, I, I you know. I've met some guys that never been, you know, got one too many concussions. Robbie, I know Dan, you probably know these guys too. Yeah, you get one too one many up. concussions, concussions, and they like they like it messes them up, man. They're it really messes them up. Punchy. Yeah, I, yeah. I developed, I developed a neurological tremor, and uh, when I was seeing the radio or the neurologist, yeah, uh, we were trying to do the con- uh, the concussion count, and as I'm walking through trying to remember them all, he finally goes, "Look, that's enough." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. At this point, it doesn't matter that what? many, and you got problems, guy. Well, it worries. It it messes up your uh, your hormones, your hormone systems, and everything. You, you should, you know, Dan. If you had a bunch of uh, concussions, you should get, go get like one of those like those checks for your hormones and everything. Make sure your hormones are balanced and mess with your endocrine system. No, um, that explains some some pectoral development that I've been getting. That's I'm I'm like I'm not I'm not joking. I'm serious. Like there there's like really like there, your testosterone levels can be all out of whack and whatnot. So, what were you saying, Robbie? I was just going to say, yeah, uh, I I had the same thing with the concussions, and you know, the doctor said, "Whoo, thank goodness." 
And I said, excuse me? He said, well, I thought it was just me that didn't like you. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, lots of people don't like you. Well, I guess since we've, since we're talk, we've been talking for the last almost 40 minutes about martial arts. and uh, This show is about martial arts. It is. It is. Well, let's, let's bring it back into preparedness and whatever. You know, let, what do you guys think is appropriate for self-defense, you know, training, awareness or whatever? If, if you're going to jump into that, what, what do you suggest be the, the intent, Robbie, um, for those of our listeners out there? Medieval body armor, twelve gauge shotgun, I, dude, and, I got, and really bad intent. I got a guy uh, I just met with one of one of my um, you know other other uh, activity clubs, and this guy is a athlete. He just he just flew to Poland, and his sports is basically medieval MMA. They have I've seen some of the long sword fighting. Well, because I, I, I messed when I first met him. I was like, "What are you into, LARPing?" And he's like, he's like, he took like, he took offense. Like, he's like, listen, man, I, I know you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I'll let this one go, I'll let this slide. But it's it's not LARPing. It's like you know, you know, people getting broken bones and everything. But these guys put on like real steel armor, um, and they have real weapons. The weapons are are dulled, you know, but they'd go at each other, and it's basically like a mixture of MMA and, and almost like Greco-Roman wrestling because you know if the, if somebody takes a knee or gets you know pushed out, they're it's over. But he's like six seven. He's a big boy, and he's a, he's a steel worker too. So you know, and he they beat the snot out of each other. Um, but it's it's pretty cool. Like it, it's an expensive hobby because you know somebody's got to make all that armor. But I had you know got to get him props. That was you know he he brought out some of his axes and everything, and all of it's got to be historically accurate. So trying to move in that armor alone. I mean, that's oh like yeah, man, eighty pounds of armor. Well, I tried jousting, but my dog just hates that saddle. <laughs> I don't know if it's 80 pounds. Um, I want to say he told me it was 45 pounds. Or but just, a, just the part he's wearing? Yeah. Because yeah, the weapons just, ain't light either. Oh, no, no. Just the armor. Just his armor, I think, is 45 pounds. Um, but like he showed me that he had this one scar where, um, right in his side where something, you know, I, think, I don't know if it was a mace or something, but it busted through. And, oh, it was a sword. It was a sword. It, it did actually cut him, even though it was dull. And like you know, hit hit the hit his hip bone. You think um, they would let me play if I showed up wearing like football pads and a motorcycle <laughs> helmet? Maybe I don't know. So it's I mean they go they go at each other. But anyway, back to uh, back to what you were saying, Robbie, about uh, your, oh, your joke. if we're are you talking about what does the average person need to sure. invest in their time? Yeah, to, for safety reasons, mm-hmm. you know. I think the 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 most important thing they can invest in is their own self awareness. Yeah. Uh, being being able to look ahead, con- you know, conscientious, situational awareness, yeah. that type thing, and uh, look for the simplest techniques you can that uh, I-, I guess require as little um, minor muscle movement. You know, it needs to be very gross muscle movement as far as uh, uh, street level combatives. Yeah. Uh, street level combatives. It's if it's pretty, you're you were never in any danger. Yeah. Uh, if if you're in a pretty fight, it was not dangerous. Um. You know, real a real street fight's never pretty. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And don't last long. Yeah, and don't last long. You're so, not fencing. You're fighting. Yeah. <laughs> The the so most any any martial art that is is geared towards uh, defensive tactics I, I I would the sport stuff I would not recommend 
would not be my first choice because mm-hmm. a lot of times the goal is different. You know, it's, mm-hmm. if I go by if I would go by a fly rod for fishing, and and my goal was to go down to Surf City, North Carolina, and 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 fish in the ocean. I, I didn't. I, I bought a great fly rod, but it's not the right tool for that. You know, for that job. Please and allow me this. Please allow me this opportunity to be Robbie. Okay. Um, the one counter I would make to that is, uh, and obviously I'm biased to Kodokan Judo, but because they took a lot of the directly deadly or injuring technique out of it, you can practice it at life speed. So when you practice, you never pull, you're never pulling anything. And that gives an advantage, that gives an advantage. How long does it take you to get that good though? Okay. That's, that's a fair point. That's, uh, we're talking about the average Joe. We're not talking about dedicated martial artists. No, that's, you make a good point because we say 10,000 times to know it and a hundred thousand times to use it. Right. So, so, you know, brutal, brutal training is what, you know, what you need to survive a, a, a dark alley. Yeah. Eye gouge and nut kick. Yeah. Uh, Krav Maga. Yeah, Yeah. Krav Maga is, is, you know, a lot of times very effective. Uh, Now, I will say, if you're in a dedicated Krav Maga, hardcore defensive tactic type training, um, you know, what you said earlier, Adam, about training, you got to train four or five times a week. Yeah. You won't be able to do that because you're, you hurt so bad after the first night, you need (laughs) three or four days each time to, you know, because there's there's a lot of stuff in there that is is brutal. Yeah. Uh, there's no way around it. Uh, and and if if brutality is not something you want to learn, then you better learn situational awareness even better. Because a real fight's brutal. Yep, I agree. Um. So so stay away from the, anything that takes you years and years to become a master at it type thing. You're not looking mastery here. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the shooting. When when we're talking defensive shooting, we're not trying to win win an Olympic gold. You know, it, it, you're not trying to, to be a sniper. Yeah, a few you're minutes to, of angle don't matter. Right, yeah. You're, you're, you're not shooting for uh, a minute of angle. You're shooting a minute of man. Um, I had Same a, thing with martial arts. The guy I worked with when I was... Uh working security when I was in college and this, he was a, a Norwegian guy. His name was Njol. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I always, I always like everybody pronounces his name wrong and you know, he never cared. He's like, whatever. He's like, whatever, however you want to say it. He's like the, the nicest guy, big, we, sometimes we used to joke and call him Thor, big dude, just big, you know, guy he had a shaved head though. But you guys, you guys, have, well, I know that you've seen frozen, uh, Dan, cause you've got kids. But that oh, one, my kid, my kids are male. I have not had to see that. Really, you're lucky, because <laughs> I've seen it a thousand times. But there's that one scene where there's this little guy. He's like, "Hello," it's like this little salesman guy, and the one of the main characters says something. He stands up. He's like eight feet tall. But that was, but he used to do Krav Maga. Uh, he was, uh, he was part of a special, you know, operation type, you know, thing over in, you know, uh, Sweden, and then also for the UN. And he was, you know, overqualified for the job that he had. He just say like, he's like, oh, I love this. I just, you know, he, he was basically the the president of the company's bodyguard and driver or whatever. But he was the nicest guy in the world. But 
Um, that's all he used to do. And he's like introduced me to sleep back in like 97 or 98. And, uh, we went up there and, and, uh, cause you know, Ryan, um, Robbie and Ryan, you know, he's wrestling and, and, uh, Taekwondo since he was like five and he's just, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, you know, in good shape and everything. But we went up there one day and we're, we're messing around with him and he was just like, he was so brutal. And I was like, Oh my God, this is like, <laughs> and so I took a couple classes, um, you know, but they were, they weren't even really classes that they were just like, you know, high speed conditioning workouts, you know, like, and just focusing on being destructive and devastating and, you know, um, just going crazy on people. And it was, it was, it was unique. It was cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Man, had a man say something one time, Adam, um, that, that at the moment I just thought it was tough, but then later on, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it was a it was a perspective for life he took yeah. that really helped him win when he needed to. Mm-hmm. And his, his uh, something he would constantly say is, "I've if you want a good old-fashioned bloodletting, I have as much blood to give as the next man. In other words, he went into every combat situation with the thought process that you're just as easy to kill as I am. Yeah. You know. Uh, oh, then he must be impossible to kill. Y- yes. <laughs> um, his last name was Kent. You may know him. Clark, some people call him. Um, yeah, we used to spar. Till he wimped out on you? Yeah. <laughs> he kept he kept coming to the dojo in his pajamas, man. It was really embarrassing. Couldn't handle, he couldn't handle the injuries. I think he was special needs. He kept putting his underwear on the outside of his pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so, so what's he, what's your guys take? What what where would you tell someone to start if they were looking? You know, man. Like, see, I, I always, I, I am so disillusioned by like everything that's out there right now. Um, it's it's one of those things where if you're going to go out there and train to defend yourself, to be honest with you, you know, just go out there and, and get a good, you know, get some boxing lessons. Like I, I and I hate to say that because people are like, oh, that's so. I mean, like I've I've sparred a couple boxers, man. And they lit me up, and like, you know, if you want to like the grappling and everything, the fighting, that's all great when you got a gi on and you're in, you know, you're you know in a dojo. But like last time I had to wrestle somebody, I was wrestling him on a curb. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, that that wasn't a that that wasn't a very good tactical decision. You know, like the real world is messy and whatnot. And I don't want to go to the ground with somebody, you know, so like some of the Krav Maga or Krav Maga, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. I mean, some of that stuff is, is awesome. It's, it's brutal. Um, you know, but then you're, you, you gotta make sure you're, you know what you're doing. I mean, if, if you're going to be a martial artist, be a martial artist. If you want to find a way to defend yourself, you know, you know, figure out a way to, to get away as, as, as fast as you can, get a strike or whatever. You're not engaging with somebody, and just make that your mindset. It's like, all right, how do how do I escape this situation? You know, um, and that that's kind of like the most realistic thing I could say. I mean, it, it, unless you're going to devote thousands of hours to to train to be proficient, and even then, you know, you can catch a a wild punch. On, you know, sometimes fighting the guy that's that's untrained is a little bit more dangerous because you don't know what he's going to do because he doesn't know what he's going to do. You know, that wild haymaker may, may catch you off guard because you're waiting for that, you know, you know that, that 
focused punch or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, right. luckily though, most of the time you never have to defend yourself against a guy who's definitely afraid of you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, but uh, being old and short and slightly overweight, nobody's ever afraid of me. Really <laughs> um, go do, go get used to take or not used to taking a punch, but. I was thinking Box- the same thing, Dan. Yeah. Boxing is great. Go go out there, take a few punches, and don't be afraid to get hit. Yeah. Because once I you're have, afraid to get hit, you can do a whole lot more. Yeah. I have ha- I have won more fights against big men who I didn't realize until after the fact. I don't think anybody ever actually hit them back. Mm-hmm. They, they, you, <laughs> you hit them, and they're so blasted shocked. That their mind goes into a locked position, and and you can get the upper hand. And I, and I realized, you know, at, when that started occurring to me, I said, well, doggone, maybe I need to go back and thank all the bullies that punched me growing up because, you know, I won't worry about it. I've been hit before, you know. Maybe. <laughs> Learn to take a hit, and not just getting used to it, but things like, you know, if you can't block it, Go into it with your forehead so you don't take it on the nose. Yeah. You know, and then... It still hurts, guys. We will warn you. Oh, and... (laughs) uh, (laughs) Headshots don't hurt today. They hurt tomorrow. Body shots hurt right now. There's a reason I have a neurological tremor and multiple concussions. Don't take my advice. I'm just saying. Um, But but also, also, you got to be willing to actually hurt somebody. Yeah. Which, believe it or not, is, is, is counterintuitive. I was shocked at how many people are not willing, even to defend themselves, they're not willing to inflict damage on somebody. Yeah, yeah you, you, I hate to say this, man, because this is going to sound kind of nasty, but like, if you make that decision, like, if you're in a, in a situation where you're, and I'm not talking about you're at a party and somebody knocks your drink and you want to be tough, you know? Like, there gets to be a point, I say this a lot, like, you know, if anybody ever asks me about martial arts, like, you know, like, it's like you, you learn to fight so you don't, don't fight and something kind of if you go to a, a good school you know, not a school that wants to teach you how to go and, and start crap but a Cobra good school that teaches that teaches <laughs> you like respect and everything it's like you know it, it, it checks your ego so you don't have to you know prove yourself to anybody says, hey man it's fine it's cool you know you use use you know wisdom and and you know be kind of a gentle person you, know, you don't need to go out there and fight you don't have anything to prove because having something to prove to, it, it, you're really trying to prove something to yourself and you're going to find out about yourself real quick when you get your ass kicked, you know? So it's not about being, you know, being a coward. At the same time, it's like having enough, you know, mental fortitude and confidence in yourself and not starting starting shit. Now, I, I remember there was a, you know, a clear time where I had to check the, the people, the circle of friends that I have because we'd be at a bar and, you know, somebody would want to start talking crap with somebody. And, and I hit, hate that and, guy. Yeah, you know, and and um, yeah, that guy gets you hurt. Yeah, and, and and like and likewise, it's like if you're at a place. I remember I was at this bar, and there's this guy that I worked with that was there, and I was like, and I was like, hey man, what's going on? He was like in the maintenance area, um, and I sat down to have a beer. I don't think I was with my wife, and all of a sudden, some guy, some guy bumps into him, and I'm like, you know, four feet away from him, and he, this guy just takes a wild haymaker and just punches this guy in the face and knocks him out, and then like the bar like erupts. In uh, in like fighting, and I was like, "Holy crap!" And this is a this is in the streets, which is in Frederick, which is like this. They 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 uh, block off Patrick St- or Market Street, like from for ten or so blocks, and there's like this giant street festival. And um, 
and I quickly uh, vacated. Like, yep, no, don't want to be in here. <laughs> this is, you know, this is good enough. Where you know, some people are like, oh yeah, let's get in a brawl and start you know, throwing punches and everything. And that's, you don't need to be that guy. You know what I mean? Um, Fighting hurts. Well, I mean, it's it's not. I mean, don't, don't be wrong. I mean, some of the best, you know, activities I ever had was sparring and and, and fighting with friends of mine. Like not like oh. you know, when we're trying to kill each other. I mean, it's. There is something and fighting are two different things. Yeah, I mean there is Sparring something is fun. Fighting hurts. There is some there is something primal and like, you know, you got to get the caveman out to say hi and get that out of your system that is that is rewarding, you know. I mean, some of the some of the best friends I've ever had, we've literally beat the crap out of each other. Um, you know. Well, I had a I had a good friend who was a tough man champion. Yeah. And uh, you know, he outweighed me for at that time probably close to 100 pounds. Yeah. And uh I would go fight him because it was the one situation where I knew this guy could brutalize me. He he would knock me out pretty much every training session. Yeah. Um, knock me out unconscious. I mean, full complete, <laughs> just knock me out. It's me all out. starting to make sense now, Robbie. But it was that's because <laughs> that's, that's the only way you can get Robbie to stop. It was, well, <laughs> yeah, and it was it truth. was one of the only places I could go where I knew I could push myself against somebody that had that kind of power, that kind of brutality, that kind of ability. I mean, he was fighting tough man championship 20 years ago when, I mean, it was, it was flat out ugly. I mean, it was was bare knuckles. Yeah. Blood and teeth, you know, and I, I was in the only situation in the world where I could get in, where somebody could put me in that position, but it was okay if I went unconscious because I wasn't going to get my head stomped and, you know, be dead. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he would knock me out and then pick me up. You know, yeah. it, it wasn't, wasn't this situation where I had to be afraid for what's going to happen when I lose. And I knew I was going to lose. You know, he was just that much better than me. Um, and I miss it, dude. I, 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 yeah. I, I literally sometimes think, you know, I wish I could go get, I, I'm stressed out. I'm frustrated with life. I need to let the animal loose, but there's not an appropriate place and way to do that that's also safe so yeah i absolutely miss going over there and having getting knocked out you know just going tooth and nail until one of us either went unconscious or one of us said you know what i've got all my animal out and at this point i want a cheeseburger and a beer yeah i mean i i can't say that i miss getting knocked out but i i i I could say I, i miss that after you're done and the adrenaline is is like dumped you know, and you're relaxed after the shaking stops well, I'm <laughs> and, you, not, and you're relaxed and, nausea, and you're like, and the nausea passes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and you just, you know, you're just good. I'm you can enjoy a nice, I, good nap. <laughs> I enjoy, I really did kind of enjoy that moment where, because sometimes I wouldn't go completely out, but I'd feel my legs buckle. Yeah. And yeah. I always liked that because I liked making myself push through, recognize what was happening to me get my feet back under me, catch myself before I actually hit the floor and get up before he could close the distance. Yeah. You know, the idea that I knew that I was training in such a way that I knew if the worst case scenario happened, I knew how fast I could recover from it. And I knew that I could stay in the fight. You know, I I wouldn't, most of the time I didn't go unconscious where I, I didn't have my wits about me. Most of the time I woke up by the time my body hit the floor. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you too. It is. It does make you feel good when you get that one. You're training with that one guy consistently, and you're like, "All right, man, I can do this, man. That guy, that good should be able to, to you know, just 
wipe me, but I can, you know, I can stand up and take this for a couple rounds. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I, ha- I could hold my, I, I could hold my own with someone vastly superior to me long enough that, you know, as we moved around, eventually I'd have gotten a clear shot at the door and could have took off running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Dan, what, what, what do you say? Uh, on which topic? You on on you know people who are interested in you know self defense and yada yada yada. Um, you know, like Robbie said, you got to if it's really self defense, then you just need to look at one of the more brutal forms. Mm-hmm. Although the psycho, I would argue that developing the psychology is as important as oh absolutely. Um, and there's there's a great book called uh, On Killing. I can't remember. It was a colonel that wrote it, and I'm trying to remember what it was or what his name was. But he both cites and talks about some fascinating studies on what it takes to get a person to to respond violently. Is this like how most riflemen aim high unintentionally to to miss people because they don't don't really want to kill anybody? Yeah. Dave Grossman published in 1996. That's it. And he talked. There's a great now, session. Robbie. Did you just Google that, or do you have that by memory? I, I, I Google it. Uh, either way, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, well, and there's a great section because Alex one time asked me. He said, "You know, Dad, is uh, it, it, you know, if you're not willing to kill somebody, does that make you a coward?" Um, and I had to tell him no. And there's a great study in that book that talks about that. During the Civil War was one of the best times that they could actually calculate rounds expended and injuries done. And he would talk about that it would be fewer than one in ten were actually willing to shoot at shoot to kill. But that it would not be uncommon for ten people to stand next to that one guy and reload for him. And they would take the fire. They wouldn't run. It wasn't a matter of courage. It was just a whole lifetime of being conditioned, do not kill. Yeah. And they couldn't overcome it. So it had nothing to do with, with bravery or cowardice. Now, do you think that conditioning is natural or, or artificial, that, that instinct not to kill? Um, it's a combination. It's natural in that a pack that constantly turns on itself will not survive. Mm-hmm. But that natural instinct has been grossly reinforced. And in some cases, in school systems now, kids are even being taught not to defend themselves. Really? Um, yeah. If you hit back, you'll get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so some of it is just natural instinct. It's good pack instinct. But it's been reinforced. And some of what Grossman's, or the research that he's found, is that the interesting thing is, very few people will kill to protect themselves, but they will kill to protect somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think it says a lot about our psychology. But it's it does. It does, especially if it's you know a family member or a child, especially. That's interesting. What do you think about that, Robbie? I agree. I think I think the the different drives, uh, motivations. Uh, or psychological influences, however you want to put that. I, I think there. I think there's no there's no A and B. I think it's it's a pendulum, 
Yeah. Um, and I think some people naturally settle to one degree, you know, to one extreme or the other. Yeah. But I think at any point in time, depending on the outside influence and stimulation, an individual that's at one extreme can swing to the other and vice versa. I, I do believe that there's a, a warrior caste. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think yeah. there are people that are naturally set to be, you know, a little further to the right than the left, and there's other people that are set to be a little further left. Well, I mean, right. I think they, I think they've proven, or I mean, maybe they just have theories that they're gene for it. Well, yeah, there, there's definitely like for your political leanings, like the way the brain operates, and there's not, I don't, I'm, you know, there's not one that's inferior to the other one. So let me, let me stop that, you know, downward spiral of thinking right now. Uh, I'll, I will assure you, whichever one I am is the superior one. <laughs> I know you think that. <laughs> oh, I've got research to prove it. <laughs> yeah. Um but you know, I, I think that's that's like that as well. It's funny. I did we talk about this on the podcast or or maybe it was a private conversation how the British they had like some plan if there was no this was you and I having a conversation, Robbie. This like article came out and like it was like, you know, Great Britain wants to put psychopaths in in positions of power in a emergency Crisis or something, Robbie? Do you remember that? That was actually some research that yeah. uh, I think Dan, I don't know if Dan found it and sent it to me or what, but uh, basically it was uh, this military general was yeah. writing a wrote a a paper, uh, basically stating about how uh, people with uh, sociopathic tendencies yeah were responsible for like. Yeah, I don't know. It was some high degree, like seventy five percent of the actual shots that that struck human tissues. Seventy five percent of the deaths on a battlefield, even though they only represented like two or three percent of the total populace. Yeah. And he he said that you know, it was, it was a a necessary function for a leader to identify who those people were. Uh, not so that you could get rid of them or anything because they were a necessary part, but so that you could maximize and their efficiency. You could use them in the places where you know where where they were most useful. Put don't put them on on the re- in the rear echelon or your rear echelon is going to soon become your front line. Yeah, um, put them on the front line where they can be most effective. Yeah, you don't, don't want them on the them occupation on a force. Yeah, don't send them on a peacekeeping mission. Yeah. Send somebody else on a peacekeeping mission. Send that guy to the range that day. You know, uh, and, and that that there was an upside, and the upside was that when you took that class of person and put them in that situation, they did it, and they did not come back from that situation worse off than they went in. Yeah. It was a job to them. They went and did their job, and they come back. Yeah. Whereas there are plenty of people that if you put them in the situation and put enough pressure, they will do what they need to do. The question is, what kind of psychological damage is going to be done to that person for them having to do that? It's uh, the cliche about what did you feel when you shot that man? Recoil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, that doesn't mean that those individuals are more dangerous necessarily. It just means there is a job that needs to be done and there's right people to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many cultures out, you know, like, wasn't it Rome that the, like, the soldiers could never come into the city, right? Um, 
Yeah, the, st- the legions weren't allowed in Rome. Yeah. But at what point were they, once they were out, were they allowed back into society? You know? Um, they had, after they had been out of the military for a while or whatever. You know? One would argue that one of the causes of Rome falling was they were completely removed from society. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it wasn't at Rome that they fell below, I think it was 11% military occupation. And then they just started coming up, or not occupation. Um, 11%, below 11% of Roman citizens were in the military. Ah. Interesting. Well, I think that we're, we're about to run out of time, guys. And this was an interesting podcast. I actually had a good time. Me too. Talk, talk about a little bit different things. You know, you never know what you're going to get with the Equipped Nord podcast. I, and I, uh, go ahead, Dan. I was just going to say I'm a little disappointed. I'm going to have to save it for next week, but uh, I'm going to have to tell you about taking Robbie to a museum. Oh, you went to a museum, Robbie? Yeah, they let me in and everything. Yeah, and the fun part was watching his reaction because he was he was being very he was being a very gracious guest when uh, he came up to visit, and I told him I was taking him to a museum, and we weren't going to go to the woods that day. When was when was this? Uh, last time Robbie came up, I've been saving this yeah. one for a while because. Uh, I took him to the Mercer Museum up here, mm-hmm. which is is absolutely amazing. Probably um, probably ranks in the in my top ten places I've ever been. Really? Yeah. Now it, I'm really now I'm really interested. From as close as you are, it would be worth a day trip for you. All right. But I have to go up uh, there and see Dan though. Uh, I would really rather you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> now you call me back up like I'm lonely. Come see me. Come play with me. <laughs> Don't grind your knife you keep on asking for. Yeah. Although, I will say, uh, Dan had to tell me to put my hands back in my pockets numerous times. Oh, really? Times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there is, dude, I, I would I would pay them minimum wage per hour to let me work there and clean the stuff just so I could pick it up and look at it from all different angles. And Really? Uh, oh, yeah. And it's very easy to get in to see their librarian. Yeah. Um, so from a research standpoint, it has been amazing for me. Yeah, if you're if you're trying to recreate recreate any kind of historical tool, cutting tools or anything like that, I mean, it's not just cutting tools and stuff like that. There's a, a dugout canoe there, all the way down to if you want to know what an uh uh. You know, a, a few hundred years ago, back when they made combs mm-hmm. out of turtle shell, they've got a collection of them. Really? Uh, yeah. Just anything and everything you can imagine, you know, Americana-type history from back then. They've got a amazing. recreation of a clockmaker's uh, workshop. They've got a okay. turn-of-the-century woodworker's workshop. They've got baker's tools. Typesets of yeah. printers. And when I say woodworkers, I mean a specific woodworking shop, and then they have a separate exib- exhibit for loggers and another exhibit for rough hewn. And oh yeah, they they've got they've got real, honest to god, Constantina wagons in there. Really, that yes. you that you can get two feet away from and look and see how the suspension was done, how the le- how the latching mechanism for the tailgate worked. Uh, they've got what easily several hundred, if not a thousand, different uh, wood burning stoves. 
the place is i think i think we went through what five stories dan uh, i think so um and it is definitely placed adam get up early arrive there fairly early and plan to have lunch and then go back through again yeah, the first, now is there a lot of historians there that can talk to you about specific things that you can know there was nobody there when we went, and I enjoyed it because I, I I could stand in one spot as long as I wanted to, and could look at items from multiple different different angles. You know, so, sometimes you look at a tool and you think, oh, okay, I, I think I know what that is, but how was it used? And then you look at it from another direction and you go, oh, okay, I've never seen one in real life, but. You know, and you're looking at a two-dimensional picture. It's one thing, but when you can see the item from from multiple angles, uh, and take your time, it they do. They do have an audio tour, uh, but I tend to to Robbie's point. I tend to go without it so I can. I don't feel rushed. Oh and yeah, the, and the oh. building itself is amazing. It's a poured-in-place concrete building from I think the 1920s. You you feel like you're you feel like you're walking around in a castle. Hmm. Um, I'm interested. Yeah, it they was. Have it was Spencer rifles and and. Oh, yeah, that was, was my next question: is how how's the how's the gun the historical gun pieces? Uh, they have a collection from matchlocks all the way through like Sharps carbine, and legitimate, historically correct pieces. Really. Like, they have a real Hawkins rifle. Really? Yes. Yeah. Like a real one, not a repo, re, not a reproduction. Like a real Hawkins rifle. Hang, I mean, just six inches and a piece of glass between you and it. It, it drove me crazy. Was it a fifty cal? <laughs> uh, what did Jeremiah and broke of leg? Yeah. What, what, what did Jeremiah Johnson have? I think it was fifty-six caliber. Fifty-six. I thought it was, uh, he went with like a thirty-five because that's all he could find, and then he found the guy who had died with a fifty caliber. Yeah, yeah. And that was where the eye was sound of mine and broke of legs. Do yeah, yeah. Fifty caliber Hawkins to any man that'll bury me. No, what? He, whoever finds it. Oh, that's right. Um, My way better. Whatever man find me. Um, but it was funny because we went in and the entrance is is very modern. Yeah. Um, and Robbie was kind of, you know, he was gritting his teeth a little bit, and we go through, and then we open up and go into the main open area, and Robbie just froze mid-step. I mean, his oh. left foot didn't even touch the ground. He froze. It, you don't get past that first area before you're, you, as soon as you walk into the actual museum part, I was immediately in awe. Like Shangri-La had opened for you. Yeah, to it was it was one of those points where I had to just look at Dan and go, "Where do we go?" Because I I was it was it would have been impossible for me to pick a direction to start because nice. you know what was on my right was just equally as amazing as what was on my left. And it's stuff like and it's some other things that you don't even think about, like a well sweep. They've got a full size well sweep. Uh, they've got a ladder. A hand carved ladder from a charcoal burner's setup, and when I looked at that ladder, I'm like, "Oh, that's brilliant! Why didn't I ever think of that?" So, and it's not just cutting tools; it's. I love how Dan of... has to think of any brilliant idea, uh, Robbie. Did you catch that? Right. Yeah. Naturally. 
oh, well, I, I can't sit around and wait on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> if you're into if you're into anything like outdoors, bushcraft stuff like that, that there's there's so much in their historical. You know, what was done, how they accomplished stuff with simple tools back, you know, before electricity and all, that you'll leave there so inspired and your imagination will be so stoked. Uh, uh, they allow audio and video recording? Um, if you come up, I'll if you'll agree to come up, I'll make some phone calls. And, yeah, man, uh, that'd, be, that'd be pretty cool if we can go up there and do some interviews with some people. I, I've been trying to uh, to get in touch with some people for uh, for my own personal selfish interests. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure they'd be very happy to do uh, uh, do some interviews. Be a pretty cool video series that we can bring to everybody out there. Yeah. Um, and I know that I mean it's you have to have a legitimate reason such as research. Um. But if you've got legitimate reasons, uh, I know that they will even pull some of the exhibits uh, for you to inspect. Wow. Pretty cool. Now, you have to... Private inspection in the library with the white gloves and all. That's awesome. You have to call ahead and arrange it, and they're going to check and make sure you're not some... uh, Yahoo. Yeah, some klepto from the Carolinas that just really wants a Hawkins rifle. Dude, I told you, I don't (laughs) even have to leave there with them. If they'll just let me live in the building... Problem solved. Yeah. And I like to keep I like to keep my camp pretty clean. So, uh, you know, whatever floor I take up roost in, they won't even send, have to send maintenance to it. I'll, I'll keep it up. Oh, you'll become a living history exhibit. Yeah. Hey, I right. like that. I like that one guy you have uh, leading the. You know, Sitting there lead, drinking coffee. Yeah, leading the uh, leading the the uh, tour. We don't have a tour, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, they also have a a crime and punishment section. Oh, really? Yeah, to include. Uh, I don't know. Should we spoil it a or just gallows? Yeah, I got to say, a gallows. They have a real gallows in there, uh, where Very somebody cool. would have been hung. And I was shackles and all kinds of mess. Yeah, come alongs and and billy clubs. Uh, well, guys, I, I I'm I want to go. I need to make that happen. All right, guys, we're gonna we're gonna end it there because uh, we're getting a little long in the, in this episode. But I like these little longer episodes that we've been doing. It's, it's been fun, and that's uh, kind of the point. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Check out the website at www.equiptoendure.com. Also check out Dogwood Custom Knives and of course Live Fire Gear. If you guys have any questions for us, you can email us questions at podcast at equiptoendure.com. And we'll be back next week. You guys take care, be safe out there, and remember, if you're not always prepared. You're never prepared. Robbie, good night. <laughs> All right, guys.